0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And as we love the scriptures, it's time now to open them together. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, and you can find it there in the rack if you need one. Let's open together to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's on page 554 of a rack Bible. Uh, Children, those of you that just received a Bible, you've got your page number in there as well, page 813. It's great to bring your Bible to church, to follow along with us as we read the Scriptures together and learn of the Scriptures together, so uh, come with me into the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, we have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes now for uh, a couple months, and we have been making our way through... Uh, What is admittedly one of the most unique books, not just of the Old Testament, uh, but of all the scriptures, the book of Ecclesiastes is wonderfully unique. We come this morning to the preacher of Ecclesiastes making another observation for us, an observation about life under the sun, the way life is in the world, and what we should make of it. You and I... Are living life in this world. Uh, we are walking alongside our friends and our family, our co-workers and our neighbors, everyone living this life together, but people on all sorts of very different paths with all sorts of varied understandings about what this life is for and where it's headed. And we as the people of God need to be convinced of certain realities. The book of Ecclesiastes makes us arrive at those realities very quickly and sometimes with great discomfort. Nevertheless, God speaks to us here. So if you've got your Bible prepared, let me pray and ask God's blessing upon it uh, that we might hear Him speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we pause now to say that You are the God of truth, that in Your Word You speak without error, that which is fully righteous and good and healthy for us, not only to read about, but to learn of and grow into. And so, Lord, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, we so move the writer of Ecclesiastes to record Your Word for us. Your same Spirit might now rest upon our minds to give us illumination, understanding that would rest upon our hearts to convict us of what is good and right. And Lord, that by Your Spirit you might transform us to live as salt and light in this world. Oh, Father, come now by your Holy Spirit to point us to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now, friends, hear the Word of God. From Ecclesiastes 3, we're at verse 16, through the end of the chapter. This is the Word of God. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, who can bring him to see what will be after him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So I encourage you to keep your Bible open here in Ecclesiastes 3. Now, what the preacher has been doing in this book, this very unique book, is he is speaking about the reality of life under the sun. It's a very important phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, meaning life in the world, meaning life under the heat of the sun, life under the weight of the fall, without reference to God. The writer of Ecclesiastes is interacting about the reality of life from a secular worldview and asking any who would listen to him, is this what is true? Is it true that this is the end of man and there is nothing else? The book of Ecclesiastes is leading all who would listen on various trails, asking them to consider their particular conclusion and say, is this where your hope lies? The book of Ecclesiastes in this way makes us very uncomfortable in a lot of ways. Especially as Christian believers, we can be sometimes shocked that these words are even in the Bible. And nevertheless, you and I have friends and family and neighbors and co-workers who view life perhaps exactly the way the preacher in Ecclesiastes wants them to consider. Asking, is it really true that this all is just going to end one day and that's it? So the book of Ecclesiastes is leading us down various paths, asking the question, is it true that this is all that there is? So this morning, we come to a time when the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, I saw something else, and I want to ask you a question about it. He says, I see two realities, and I want to know what you make of it. The two observations that the writer of Ecclesiastes makes about life under the sun, he asks two questions as he observes the realities of evil and death. Evil and death. Now, these two issues are actually two sides of the same coin, aren't they? There is evil in the world. There is death in the world. But both of these things are about the same thing. There is sin in the world that manifests itself in terms of the temporal realities of evil and struggle and unrighteousness and the final realities of death. There is sin in the world. What will we make of it? And the writer interacts with these realities. Now again, I've said it, I will continue to say it, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the parents on your children's uh, sports teams that you share a sideline with, endless amounts of hours throughout your childhood, growing up, they ask about these things. If they're so bold, they ask about them out loud. But everybody ponders these topics. Why is it that there is evil in the world? Why do bad things happen? And why is there death? In both occurrences, as the preacher observes these things, he's going he's to observe the reality and then respond to it. But as we'll see as we walk through it, he doesn't answer the question as to why they exist. He just states that they exist, responds in terms of how he deals with it, but does not solve the issue as to why these things exist. So he observes it and responds to the reality, but he doesn't answer the question why it's there in the first place. So let's see it as he says it. The first reality in verses 16 and 17 is that there is injustice in the world. Look at it again in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there. Was wickedness. He is outraged over the institutionalization of injustice in the fallen world. Perhaps even an institutionalization of injustice that is enshrined in a legal system. Notice he is observing that injustice exists in the very place that is intended to institute justice. It's not just that there is evil in the world, it's not just that there is wrong in the world, but there is wrong, wickedness, evil, and unrighteousness in the very places that are supposed to uphold justice. Now, throughout the world, law courts commonly have the statue of Lady Justitia, Lady Justice, right? You see her blindfolded to communicate the impartiality of the law, Holding balanced scales so as to suggest balanced, true and right outcomes. Holding a sword to communicate the swiftness of justice executed against evildoers. But here in Ecclesiastes, the blindfold is off, the scales are tipped, and the sword is gone. Evil reigns. And people get away with it. Judges take bribes, lawyers commit perjury, witnesses lie under oaths, murderers get away on technicalities, and we cringe at this very reality that guilt and innocence are confused, the innocent are judged guilty, and the guilty are judged innocent. Again, not just in the places of justice, namely the courts, but notice how he says, I saw that in the place of justice there was wickedness, but also in the place of righteousness which is probably a reference to the temple. So we can sometimes expect that in a, a world of a secular legal court that there would be injustice in the place of where justice should reign, but even in the place of righteousness, the place of the temple, there is wickedness. Ow. Many of you have uh, seen the news or perhaps are familiar or are not familiar with the name of Ravi Zacharias, another big-name evangelical leader whose reputation has been burned to the ground in scandal because of what's revealed about his life after the fact. We expect righteousness and find wickedness revealed. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is essentially asking, there you went again, being duped, expecting to find uprightness, and being faced again with the reality that all men sinners. Wickedness reigns in places of expected righteousness. Injustice exists in the place of expected justice. And what do we do with that, right? It's wrong, we say, right? What are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, here is the reality of life in this fallen world. Injustice reigns. Wickedness often goes unchecked. And what is his response to this in verse 17? After observing it, in verse 17, I said in my heart, almost quietly pondering, not outwardly screaming at the manifestations of unrighteousness and injustice, but quietly in my heart, I reserve to say, verse 17, God will judge. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. What is, what is the response to injustice in the world and unrighteousness? Is the ultimate reality that God will do what is right. God will execute and meet out and distribute ultimate justice in the end. Genesis 18.25 says, The judge of all the earth will do right. I don't know if you feel that turning in your gut Right, in the face of an injustice, a wrong, maybe perhaps it's something to the effect of what Liz is speaking about today. Or maybe it's something else. Sex trafficking, sexual abuse, you name it, whatever injustice, it makes your insides turn outwardly and you say it's not right, what will become of it? The book of Ecclesiastes is calling on us not to not be involved, not to not care. But to place our ultimate hope in this, that we should quiet our objections and silence our arguments because one day God's justice will be exercised and it will be perfect. Now that's something that should, on the one hand, comfort us, but should also make us quake a little bit. No, but that's just the first observation. The first observation is that there is evil and injustice in the world, But the reason why evil and injustice are in the world is because it's a fallen world, because it's life under the sun, and there is no greater evidence that this world is a fallen place than the second observation that the preacher makes here in verses 18 and 19. Look with me again verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. You might pause to think here for a moment. Is the writer of Ecclesiastes some pre-Darwinian evolutionary theorist suggesting here that all men are but beasts and there is no biological distinction between them be very careful in understanding that the writer of Ecclesiastes is here not talking about origins and creation and biology. He's talking about destiny. In that, there is no distinction between man and beast because both will cease to breathe one day. They will die. Now, this is the second reality that he stares at. The first reality was injustice. Injustice. The second reality is death. Now, again, I qualified this for you. Those of you who have been with us walking the road of Ecclesiastes, you've grown to kind of expect, right, the tone and theme of Ecclesiastes to be shaped this way. But if you haven't been with us for the book of Ecclesiastes, or if you haven't kept up, or whatever the case might be, the book of Ecclesiastes is not written to help you have a better Monday. The book of Ecclesiastes is not intended to just... Cheer you up and send you out the door with a smile on your face saying, All is well, don't worry about it. No, the book of Ecclesiastes is raw and intends to pull back the veil of the things we attempt to deny and look squarely into the realities of life, including the reality of death. So here is the preacher in Ecclesiastes speaking about death, a right cheery subject, we might say. Verse 20 all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It rings with familiarity of our personal experiences, standing by a graveside. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, here we commit the body of our beloved mother, father, brother, child to the ground in sure and certain hope of the resurrection you know as I stand in those places and as you have stood in those places you're confronted with realities that make you ask the question what do I really believe What am I really clinging to? What am I really trusting in? And I often consider standing around the graveside that there are lots of people present here who are asking the very questions that the preacher is asking here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Verse 21 saying, who knows? Verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? Verse 22, who knows what will be after him? Again, Ecclesiastes is intended to communicate certain realities about life and pull back the veil and ask the question, what do you really believe? And can we just confront the fact that oftentimes, especially as we mix companies among those who are grieving in faith with those who are grieving without faith, who believe in something, who believe in nothing, who believe in Jesus, who believe in karma, who believe in whatever other stuff, that we mix together a lot of, quite frankly, nonsense in the face of death Now, it's a rare occasion for me to attend a funeral in which I am not the officiant. It's very rarely that I get to attend a funeral just as a participant in the pew. But when that happens, sometimes I observe some things that make me wonder. The people who came in here, did they leave any more comforted? Any more mournful or any more encouraged than they were when they walked in? Because some of the things that we hear in the context of these services leads us confused and sad. Things like this. My loved one is now just another form of energy. And we confuse ourselves and we say, no, 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 he's not energy. He's now at my right hand looking looking down on me all the time. And then we say, no, 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 he's in a better place. And we say, no, 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 now their spirit is simply breathing in the daffodils outside the window, blowing in the breeze with me always. And sometimes this poem is quoted from Henry Scott Holland. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I have only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you. What kind of nonsense is that? We comfort ourselves with these platitudes because we don't know what else to say. Maybe because we're not bold enough to express the truth of the matter. The writer of Ecclesiastes looks in the face of death and says, what should I make in the face of death? Well, what I should do is, it seems odd, but he says in verse 22, so I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Meaning, live your life with the very present reality of death. Don't try to deny it. It's very present before you. But go about living, acknowledging the reality of life. Acknowledging the reality of death. Richard Baxter English Puritan, defines pastoral ministry as the art of teaching people to die well. I'd like to think that I'm trying to do a bit more than that. But God willing, I'm not trying to do less. Ecclesiastes later says in the book, chapter 7, verse 2, that it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. Translation, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Why? Because you can go to a party and remain oblivious about the realities of life. You can't can't attend a funeral and deny the fact that one day it will be you. Again, Ecclesiastes is not intended to help you have a great Monday. It's intended to make you square with certain realities. The preacher is saying, I've seen it. I've seen the reality of death. And he is intending to stir in the conversation. What is true that we can gain in terms of hope and encouragement in the face of this? Well, it's going to come from an unlikely place. I want you to hear about a monastery of Trappist monks in France. I'm not going to comment on the... Reality of the monastery and the fact that they're monks. But I want to tell you about a certain behavior that uh, an order of Trappist monks has in France. Every day, this order of Trappist monks goes out and digs a grave in their graveyard just outside their monastery. And if the grave is already ready, they just stand silently at the edge of the grave. Contemplate. Until one day, one of their brothers... Dies, they lower him in the grave, and then the next day they all go out about the work of digging another grave with an uncertainty of which one of them will find their earthly resting place in it. So as to communicate to them that you will meet an earthly end. Are you prepared? And you say, you know, that's repugnant. I am disgusted and offended because that's morbid and it's Sunday, and I do want to have a good Monday. I'm not against you having a good Monday. But I'm for your eternal life. So says the preacher in Ecclesiastes, maybe, maybe it is the concept of death that offends you itself. Why are you so offended? It could be perhaps that the things you are clinging to will not sustain you in front of the inevitable reality of the grave that you will face. You might try to laugh it off. You might be like Woody Allen who says, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You could have some escapist mentality of attempting to deny it, avoiding it, making light of it. But that doesn't have to be your reaction. And it won't be your reaction if you are in Christ. It won't be your response if you're a Christian. The preacher is observing these two realities and he is responding not with the answers but with just the realities. And in the same way, oftentimes, you and I go through life experiencing realities without having all the answers, right? But we do have the most essential answer to the most essential truth of the final matter, don't we? Which is the gospel itself. The writer of Ecclesiastes even unintentionally is pointing us to the Lord Jesus because when we consider the gospel, we find answers to both of these questions. The great existence of evil in the world and the reality of death. There is great evil in the world. Yes, there is none more wicked than the innocent death of the Lord Jesus. He died because the problem of evil in the world is the problem of sin in the world. He tasted death. The penalty of sin was buried and was raised in triumph to make death but a footstool that he reigns over so that from evil to death he defeats it all. What confounds and frustrates the preacher in Ecclesiastes is answered by the Gospel where a sinless Savior is counted guilty so that guilty sinners can be counted innocent, forgiven, and the sting of death which is the terrible equalizer between man and beast, can be emptied of its very power. That's why, dear friends, we do not believe in simply life but dust to dust. Though that is an earthly reality, we believe in the reality of dust to glory. That there is yet life beyond the things of this life. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes brings it up so as to ask you, have you settled that? Have you settled it? As uncomfortable as it makes you, as uncertain as you are, as if it's the right time to talk to children about subjects like this or if they should even hear things like this, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, yes, you need to know because the Lord Jesus says, the way beyond evil and wickedness and unrighteousness, the way beyond the shadow of the grave is the life that is offered in my name, Jesus said. So dear friends, Jesus wants us to be sure, he wants us to be sure, and He gives us a covenant meal so that that assurance could be sealed and settled and satisfied. Let's pray. Well Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace towards us that in the face of wickedness and evil and unrighteousness and death, there is hope. Father, we thank you that by the light of Christ you guide us. And so, Lord, even still, live and abide with us and lead us throughout this life. And to your very glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.